0: Is
1: host, Lee. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am your host, Armand Lee. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Quarterly Report. Got a really fun show in store for you this week. My guy Troy Halliburton from truthaboutit.net is going to stop by to break down the first two games of the Wizards Raptor series and what needs to happen for Washington to get back in it. Plus, sports culture is dominating pop culture or maybe it's the other way around but there's been no bigger example of this than what happened this past weekend i'll explain but first our number one topic this week first cool. we're going to start things off this week with a topic near and dear to my heart y'all gotta pray for me man because every time i think being a nick fan can't get worse these banners come out with the like they find a way to outdo themselves in being awful. Like they are literally competing with themselves and themselves only on being the worst run franchise. If it wasn't for the Browns, oh man, we had that joint easy. Maybe it's a two-team race competition just to see who could be completely, completely embarrassing more. Now, you're probably listening to this and like, man, the Knicks sucked dog. Like, what, what is it about? What decision have they made that make you feel this way today? Because, like, every day that ends in why they do something else stupid. But, nah, bro, these bombers are talking about hiring. Mark Jackson. Mama, they go that man again himself. Mark Jackson as the head coach of the Knicks. Come on, bro. I, I don't know how much I have left. I don't know how long I can doing this. Oh! Ah. Of course the devil rears its ugly head when talking about the damn nation. I didn't force them upon you. That was
2: completely your choice.
1: I know, I know, I know. I, man, I don't know what the hell I was thinking.
2: Hey, don't bring my home into this.
1: My bad, my bad, damn. Anyway. You've been causing hell on Earth recently. Maybe a game of Devil's Advocate would be good for you and bringing peace back to the planet.
2: <laughs> I wish I could take all the credit, but if I'm being honest, y'all's boy 45 is a wonder kid. I still don't know how in the home y'all let him win. But in any event, this week, you will play Devil's Advocate for Mark Jackson. What
1: I was literally just talking about why I hate that idea
2: I know that's what makes it great I don't care about your damn feelings I'm the damn devil
1: Damn Joe you are an asshole Alright oh man this is gonna be hard Alright you know what let's do it like this The Golden State Warriors when Mark Jackson first took over there were a bunch of young kids who didn't know how to win weren't expected to win and they didn't defend uh, mark jackson gave i mean i don't know how much you want to buy into coaching up talent and coaching confidence and establishing a culture if you will but it has to matter at some point whether it's on whatever place you want to put it on the spectrum it does contribute in some way And with this Knicks team, there are a lot of young guys, a lot of guys who are are talented, and a lot of guys who have a high ceiling and a lot of potential, but just hasn't been tapped before. I mean, look, obviously Steph Curry worked his behind off to be the player he is now. Same with Clay. same with Draymond. Um, But Mark Jackson has to get some credit in terms of pushing the right buttons, getting these guys to believe in themselves. Confidence is huge. And right now, man, there's no confidence in New York. Our most promising player and our most um, famous and popular player is coming off an ACL injury. We've got a young guy in Frank Frenchie. I'm not even gonna try to spell, say his last name. I still don't know it perfectly. But he's got a lot of promise, but offensively, you know, he just hasn't been able to put it together. And he's young, it's his first year. But the talent is there and it just needs to be molded. And we're going to have another high lottery pick. So there they are. There is potential to turn around a reclamation project, if you will. And we've seen in history, recent history, that Mark Jackson has been able to turn over a franchise. Look, we get caught up on what the Golden State Warriors are now. But with the exception of maybe a hand uh, two years on the Don Nelson, and a few years in the early nineties with run TMC, the Golden State Warriors were notorious for being a, a losing organization. They never won. They never won a thing. It was bad culture. They booed the owner because they traded Monte Ellis. Think about that. we talk about unruly fans. We're not talking about the, the wine and cheese crowd now in San Francisco, when they're trying to move to talk about Oakland and those fans of booed the owner because they traded Monte Ellis of all people, Monte Ellis. But Mark Jackson got there. And you know, he did dirty work. Obviously, he's not a perfect head coach. But the Knicks don't need perfection. We just need somebody solid. We need somebody who can communicate. We need somebody who will have the respect of the players and 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 motivate them. Just try and get things turned around in the right direction. The talent, I don't know how much talent we have. We clearly don't have the talent that Golden State had when Mark Jackson took over, obviously, and I'm not trying to say that we do. However, there is, ta- there is promising talent on the Knicks roster. Promising. Obviously highlighted by Kristaps Porzingis. And if Mark Jackson can connect with Kristaps the way he, connects, he connected with Steph, and Clay Thompson, and the way he seemingly can connect with a bunch of other people via television and his, his congregation, whatever the case may be, he has a way with people. Sometimes good, oftentimes bad, but he does have a way. And if he can positively connect with Chris Tops and get the most out of Chris Tops, then you know what? You can come up with worse candidates. <sighs> All right. I got to take a shower. That's the best I could do. That's the best I could give you, Devil, playing Devil's Advocate for Mark Jackson. Very
2: compelling argument, Armand. You made some valid points. You know what they say about speaking things into existence, right?
1: No, 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 no. That's not how it goes, Joe. We was playing the game. Remember, Devil's Advocate? You give me a name of somebody and I play Devil's Advocate for them. That's how the game goes, bro. We've been doing it for a year, Joe. Chill
2: out. (laughs) No. Fuck that. You just spoke it into reality. Enjoy your new head coach. <laughs> Ain't this about a lot of bitch?
1: Man, obviously, anyone with half a brain understands how dumb the idea of hiring Mark Jackson is. Okay? this This guy, I tweeted this earlier this week, man, but Mark Jackson essentially had the keys to a Ferrari. You feel me? In Golden State. The Golden State Warriors, that roster that Mark Jackson had, they were a Ferrari. And this Bama Mark Jackson drove that joint like a minivan. You feel me? You get keys to a Ferrari and you drive it like a minivan. And what's worse, people, some people want to give him credit for not getting the ticket. Nah, Slim, that's not how it goes. You got a a Ferrari, you got a Porsche, you got a Lambo. Drive that joint, young. You know what I'm saying? Pedal to the metal for real. They had like a middling offense with Mark Jackson. Listen to me, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, right? Andre Iguodala, all these guys, the same team, the same team. We're like the 14th best offense. And in one year, they turn turned into the number one offense in the league. Now, I'm not going to knock the brother like he he gets some credit for like, you know, getting them to jail. And I don't know, man. I'm not going to say he has no credit in terms of, you know, developing a culture maybe and establishing. But some of the reports that you hear out of Golden State was that the culture was toxic because of Mark Jackson. Assistant coaches weren't trusting each other. There was bickering in the locker room. Festus Ezeli was crying because Mark Jackson made the team out to be like he was a mole. You know what I'm saying? I was like, bro, What? I mean, we could break Mark Jackson's tenure and go on and state down a number of ways, right? Number one, Steve Kerr had never coached in, I believe in, on any level. And the moment he does, they go to winning 60 some odd games and winning the championship in his first year. First year. Number two, Luke Walton was an assistant coach. Never been a head coach on any level. Steve Kerr goes down with injury and Luke Walton coaches amazing Mike Brown the following year Steve Curry's not feeling well Mike Brown did a hell of a Mike Brown did a hell of a job coaching the, the, the Warriors and I, and I bring that up to say everybody people that we know aren't very good head coaches and people who have no who have never been a head coach ever all of them coached the same roster better and had more production more success than Mark Jackson you feel me (laughs) I don't know if Luke Walton is a good head coach but he coached the same roster better than Mark Jackson did Slim Mark Jackson started David Lee and I love David Lee David Lee I took a picture with him back when he was with the Knicks super cool dude man I always love David Lee you feel me brother from another mother for real he started David Lee over Draymond Green Joe You know, I mean, like, come on, (laughs) come on. Like, what more needs to be said? And and the Knicks, this guy hasn't coached since then. The Warriors have won two championships, been to three straight finals, won 73 regular season games, all since he stopped coaching them. And all he's been doing is (laughs) calling NBA games for three seasons. And, then, and now the Knicks were like, hey, man, let's. how about you interview for our top two? They not understand how important this season is. This is make or break for Chris Stops. Make or break. We got to figure out if Frenchie can develop into a, a legitimate offensive threat. And we're going to have another top pick. Like, we got all this stuff that we need to be figuring out. Can we at least get an adult? Someone who... Can we at least get someone that we know, okay, this guy can coach? Not a project. Not somebody who may be cool with Kevin Durant, Derek Fisher. Not somebody who could have been a good head coach in Phoenix had the situation been better, Jeff Hornacek. Nah, give me somebody who I know can coach. David Finsdale is out there. Mike If If Coach Bud is going to Phoenix, damn it, we can't interview him in New York. Mark Jackson? Oh, it hurts me so, it hurts me so bad. It hurts me more so because I have now grandfathered my daughter into being a Nick fan. And I knew better. I should have known better. I have brought her into this 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 world of dysfunction and heartbreak. Now, do it for the babies. Do it for the children, Joe. This is easy. If Doc Rivers doesn't want to coach or is not out of his contract in L.A., Make sure we hire David Fisdale. It's that simple. That's it. That's the list. Or Coach Bud. Coach Bud. No Jackson. Kenny Smith was even rumored to get an interview. Kenny Smith? <laughs> oh, they hate me. They hate me. <sighs> All right, man. I, I had to get that off my chest. I know every week I talk about some other NBA team. And I don't think I throw shade, but. Every week I get an email. Why you talking about them? Why don't we talk about your team? Why don't you talk about team? Well, damn it. I just talked about my team, and I don't want to talk about them no more. We ain't doing that no more because the Babas suck. The jabbers are trash. Man, we got Stephen A. Smith talking about Mark Jackson Jackson needs to be the Knicks head coach because he's a New Yorker, and he knows how to walk the street. Are you serious? That's, that don't even make any sense. Who hires the head coach for the fans? You feel me? Who hires a head coach for the fans? The fans will like you if you can win. If you can coach, the fans will like you. I don't give a damn if you're from New York. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm I'm not from New York. I never lived in New York. But as a Knicks fan, I don't care if I see the head coach walking down the street, dog. Can you coach? And none of the players are from New York, so they don't give a damn what street you from, what hood you from. You think Kristapsky is if Mark Jackson is from New York? Because he the only one who, he the most important player on the Knicks. The most important person in that organization. His career stops this upcoming season. He don't give a damn about if you're from Bed-Stuy or if you're from Yonkers. You feel me? That's just so stupid. Who's from New York? Joe Kim Noah is from New York on the Knicks. So yeah, Mark Jackson can make Joe Kim Noah turn back the time to 2008, God bless him. But I don't think that's happening, Joe. Stephen A. Smith, oh man, don't get me started, alright bro, that's my time, that's my cue to keep moving bro, because I, nah, I ain't going down this road, alright y'all, that's the first quarter, I'm going to give you a glass of water, get my pressure down, and we're going to move on to our second topic this week,
3: second quarter, what Joseph Parker made for the Joshua fight, on the offer that we have made Deontay Wilder, Deontay Wilder makes double. So, we've made an offer, again. You do know that this offer, which is five times more than his highest purse ever, you do know that AJ won't make anywhere near double his highest purse. You understand? So, you do know that Deontay Wilder has been selling six, seven, eight thousand tickets a fight. You do know that Anthony Joshua has sold quarter of a million tickets over an 11-month period in three fights and done basically 3 million pay-per-view buyers in 11 months. You do know that Anthony Joshua is the biggest star in world boxing, don't you? You do know that Anthony Joshua has three of the belts, four if you count the IBO, and you have one. If you believe you win this fight, you must take this offer.
1: That, of course, is the voice of Eddie Hearn, the promoter of Anthony Joshua, making a somewhat compelling argument in terms of the, I guess, standstill as it pertains to Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder finally getting in the ring and settling the score on who is the best heavyweight in the world. And I got to tell you, man, like, I'm so exhausted, so frustrated with this whole dynamic and the probability that these guys aren't going to fight soon. And it's so upsetting because I love boxing. If you listen to the show and shout out to everybody who's been rocking with me since day one and shout out to all the new listeners. I appreciate you as well. But if you have listened to the show, you know how much I love boxing. Boxing is easily my second favorite sport easily. Now, I don't know if anything will ever catch the NBA, for me at least. But boxing has, as I've gotten older, I've loved it even more. Boxing, like I said, I don't know if any sport will ever catch the NBA in terms of my love. But what boxing has done as I've gotten older, I've grown to love it more than any other sport. You know what I'm saying? Like the growth, like for me, when it comes to to boxing, it just continues to steady grow. You know what I mean? I really enjoy boxing, but damn it. Boxing is his own worst enemy. And, and the problem with this, this specific instance, right? As it pertains to Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. And these are the, the worst type of issues because both sides are right. I understand both sides to this dilemma, if you will. And when things like that happen, And it's a stalemate who knows if they ever get into it. Now there's way too much money to be made for me to think that this fight never happens. But the problem is, and as Eddie Hearn kind of alluded to Anthony Joshua makes money, the money that will be made from this fight is basically all coming in because of Anthony Joshua. He's the cash cow, right? He is the biggest name in boxing. Forget boxing. He is the biggest name in combat sports. He sells out stadiums. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You heard him? Oh, a quarter of a million. A quarter of a million to see him. Not pay-we ain't talking about pay-per-views. A quarter of a million people buy tickets to see him in three fights. That's a that's insane. So as Eddie Hearn, the promoter, and he's one of the most hated men in boxing, but he's also one of the most successful men in boxing. Say what you will about Eddie Hearn. The man knows the stuff. He knows what he's doing. And he's got the golden goose and he knows it. Not only does he have the golden goose, but like as he said, AJ's got all the belts. And not only does he have the golden goose, not only does he have the fighter with all the belts, Wilder, he can't draw. He can't draw in America. AJ is a pay-per-view fighter overseas. AJ is not a pay-per-view fighter in America because he doesn't fight here. Deontay Wilder is not a pay-per-view fighter anywhere. Nowhere will people pay money to see Deontay Wilder on television. Right. And that's not a knock on Deontay water because Deontay water is one of the more exciting fighters in the sport. And he's a fighter who's actually growing his brand. So from a a business standpoint, I absolutely understand Eddie Hearn and why they're like throwing in a contract out there. That they feel. Is a reasonable offer considering wilder's history like he said is five times more his, than his biggest purse and considering the you know they again like he's they don't know what pay-per-view buys will be like in america because a anthony joshua has never had been on pay-per-view in america he doesn't fight for american audiences and b deontay wilder's never fought on pay-per-view so when you're breaking down the purse you got to take buy rates into consideration. So you could project that this fight will do well and be huge, but how do you know? The only only person in North America who draws on pay-per-view can't fight for the next six months, and that's Canelo. But on the flip side, I understand Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder is a champion. Deontay Wilder is a legitimate top 10 fighter pound for pound. He's got the best punch in the sport. He and Anthony Joshua are clearly rivals. And as a champion, he's like, hold on, bro. Like, you're not going to just throw me chump change. Even though it's my it would be my biggest purse by far, we're going to be fighting in a huge fight that's going to be making so much money. I deserve more than just this little bit of the pie. I absolutely get that. Absolutely understand it. And I... I The more like this is this is where the difficult part of this entire situation, this entire uh, saga, if you will, how it all plays out. Because the more you think about it, the more you change your mind on whose side you are with. Who's you rocking with? Because initially. I was like, and I'm and I'm an A.J. guy. I like Anthony Joshua, you know, but this whole thing made me like deontay Wilder even more because it seems like it reeks of they don't want to fight him but instead of saying they're scared of fighting they're throwing him a low ball offer that was my initial reaction and keep in mind i've been like that consistently this this tactic this logic that you heard eddie hearn use this isn't new this is something that fighters and promoters have done for years and recently Gennady Golovkin, one of my favorite fighters in the world. And hey, just an FYI, if you want to know if the bots are real on Twitter and social media, trust me, all you have to do is say one negative thing about Gennady Golovkin and your mentions will be on fire with people who all look the same. Some of them don't even have a profile picture and they will come at you. The bots are real, bro. Seriously, y'all, if you feel like you've got some time, you feeling yourself a little bit? Just say, just tweet out one negative thing about Gennady Golovkin, and put a hashtag Triple G of Golovkin on that joint, and just sit back. These bombers are come for you, Joe, like the damn Walking Dead, bro. But in, in any event, <laughs> Gennady Golovkin, I, I wasn't the relapse because I have been, I have been the victim of a, a, of a mob attack, a Golovkin mob attack. Don't mess with him. He like the beehive, Joe. But in any event, right? good luck getting his promoters did that with billy joe saunders way back when they were going to fight my man uh my largo guy for his name is slipping some of my mind dominic forget that it's a full name but then fought this guy probably about four years four or five years ago for a half a million dollars and billy joe saunders a champion at the time still a champion he, was, he turned it down because he's like no you're not going to face uh, Dominic Wade, I believe it was Dominic Wade. and then you're not gonna pay him the same amount of money that you're gonna pay me, right? And the excuse was, Oh, this is the biggest payday that you've ever had, and yada yada yada. Nah, it's sometimes it's not just about the, the raw number, it's about the integrity, right? And what it means. You're not just gonna be throwing a raw number at somebody who is a legitimate fighter, you do it for a prospect, you do it for an up and or you do it for a fighter. Who's on his last leg or a fighter to stay busy? You don't do that for a champion. So I understand completely why Deontay Wilder's is like, nah, bro, y'all sound like y'all scared. But the more I think about it, I could be like, yo, I can convince myself that hey, boxing is a tough sport. And I and I tell everybody, know your worth, right? Eddie Hearn knows Anthony Joshua's worth. And he and more importantly, he knows Deontay Wilder's worth. And when it comes to dollars and cents. Joe, so we're not we're not throwing you charity you heard him in the in the, in the sound soundbite. i paid for you right you beat my guy you get a rematch and then you get double what you got in this fight which again is five times more than you've ever been paid and then if you beat him again you are the cash cow you are the guy blank check but when you're when you're in a combat sport Man, you gotta get all the dollars you possibly can get, and when you are the cash cow, you're not in the business of being somebody's doing charity work. Everywhere he goes, everybody he fights, they sell out stadiums. And for this fight to be huge, and Deontay to come to you know the UK, sometimes you're gonna have to take a knee and kiss the ring. So that's the problem. That's the there lies the dilemma. I understand both sides. And that's what that's what scares me because because both guys and both parties probably think that they are right, that they are in the right. I don't see how anybody budges. And if you're not going to budge, it's not going to happen. And if this fight doesn't happen, again, you look at boxing and you're like, "Man, what the hell are y'all doing?" I love that sport so much, but they are their own worst enemy. And it pains me to say that, man, because that fight, that fight just sells itself. Those two guys, those two athletes. I mean, there's nothing else you can do. Like you just sit back and you let, and you count the money come flowing in. And it may not even happen. Ain't that something? (laughs) All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means it's halftime. Before we get to halftime, I'm going to make sure you guys know all the ways you can get in contact with the show via email. Email me at quarterlyreport@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Via Twitter, tweet at me at quarterlyshow. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. We're also on Instagram. We're at quarterlyreport. And, of course, you can make sure you listen, subscribe. Rate, review, comment, the whole nine on Apple Podcast. Again, it's the quarterly report spelled Q U A R T E R L E E. We're also on Stitcher. We're also on Spotify. Uh knife Google Play, the whole nine. Everywhere you listen to podcasts, you can check us out. And make sure you spread the word on the show. We're 53 episodes in, and we're not stopping anytime soon. I appreciate each and every one of you for checking me out and appreciate the support. So there's so many ways, so many platforms that you can get involved with this show. And this weekend, it's another huge fight. Speaking of boxing, there's a big card on Showtime this weekend. I will be live tweeting the card. It's a triple header. Charlo is going to be in action. You got um, Crazy ass adrian Broner is going to be in action versus Vargas. And you've got um, Javante Davis again. And Javante, he's got... There's talk about him getting a Lomachenko fight after this. So, again, he's got a a big fun card, right, with a lot of implications for future big-time matches up. So I'll be live-tweeting this card this Saturday at Quarterly Show. Again, that's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Make sure you follow me on Twitter and check out what I have to say with a really fun card this weekend on Showtime Sports. And, man, you know what? Before we get to halftime, Showtime is really, they, they're doing the damn thing and as it comes to boxing. They've really, really stepped their game up over the last four or five years. And now, man, each month, I mean, we're talking about great fights, great cards, really fun cards. And you, you're looking at HBO and you're like, yo, y'all used to be running this thing. HBO is having a real rough go recently, right? Last year, they lost Andre Ward to retirement. And then top rank went to ESPN. ESPN don't know what the hell they doing with their boxing coverage. But that's Lomachenko and Terence Crawford, two of the best three fighters in the world. You lose them HBO, and now the Golovkin right Canelo fight, at least for the time being, is done. HBO's HBO boxing, they try to build around Danny Jacobs, and that may not be the move. No disrespect. All right, but in any event, big boxing head, big boxing weekend. Make sure you follow me on Twitter for the live tweet coverage. All right, guys, halftime is here. And last week, you know, <laughs> I I didn't I didn't go with it because I had I had to take a, a, a few moments to really comprehend what the hell Ray Lewis is going through. Ray Lewis, if you're not familiar, he came out. Odell Beckham I was talking about how Odell needs God in his life, and because there's no God in his life, his life is full of chaos. Obviously, <laughs> that raised everybody's eyebrows. Like, yo, what the hell is Ray Lewis talking about? So, of course, we just take it one step further, not ask what the hell Ray Lewis is talking about, but ask, did Ray Lewis really say that s***? It's the game sweeping the nation, and we're back for another round of questions. Take a listen.
4: It's time now for the game. Did Ray Lewis really say that The rules are simple we read three quotes and all you have to do is answer did ray lewis really say that got it good here's our first quote did ray lewis while talking about cam newton complaining about being unfairly treated by the referees say that much like buzzards he and defensive players can smell fear if you said yes You'd be correct
0: listen here you ever watched the Serengeti <laughs> you ever watched paid attention to the Serengeti? yeah how does the lions and all of the prey know where the fool is? How do they know? because buzzards smell them and defenses smell that type of weakness and when you when you let me know that exists man let, let me tell you something. I, listen we hunt him.
4: It's no secret. And when you tell us you don't like it, exactly, we don't want you to like it. All right, time for question number two. While talking about competing with his brother and his sons, did Ray Lewis say that he would punch them in the stomach just so he could win, no matter what game they were playing? If you said yes, you'd be two for two. Of course Ray Lewis said that
0: Bro, I dominate everything I do. Everything, My little brother, as supposed
4: my four sons. Ain't nobody beat me or nothing. I'll punch you in your belly. I'ma win. Final question. While talking about winning his last Super Bowl championship, did Ray Lewis say that he would sacrifice the first child of owner Steve Bishotti? Actually, no. That is the one thing that Ray Lewis didn't say. Can you believe it? See you next time for the most popular game in America. Did Ray Lewis say that?
1: Your man Ray Lewis punching his sons in the stomach over a game of Uno. I can see it. You feel me? You know what I'm saying? Ray Lewis, you watch you come over to Ray Lewis' house. Y'all playing spades or something. And you you and your partner know y'all got it. And then you look at him and his crazy ass thinking, yo, Ray Lewis may steal me in my face if we get him. <laughs> man, you can't play. Slim Ray Lewis is crazy. He's better talk about buzzards in the hunting, Cam Newton. <laughs> Oh man. Shout out to Ray Lewis, Joe. Shout out Shout out to his therapist. Anyway, man, we're gonna keep things moving before Ray Lewis come find me. We're gonna stay in the sports world, but we're gonna. Get away from football and get back to the NBA and the NBA playoffs as my guy Troy Halliburton stops by for our third quarter this week. Third quarter. He's been covering the Washington Wizards all season long, a contributor to TruthAboutIt.net and making his second appearance on the quarterly report, Troy Halliburton. Troy, what's going on, bro? I'm doing all right, man. How you doing today, man? Hey, man, I was trying to make it, trying to make it, bro. But um, naturally, we're going to start with the Washington Wizards. You've been covering the Wizards all season long. Like I said, guys, you can follow Troy on Twitter. He's at Troy Halliburr. That's Troy, H-A-L-I-B-U-R. But like I said, you cover them for the truthaboutit.net. And, you know, coming into the series, I wasn't, I didn't expect the Wizards to win. I think too many people who who were um, and who cover the Wizards um, locally at least Uh, They they kept on using 2015 as a reference point, but Toronto is so much different than that 2015 team. So, you know, I I didn't expect the Wizards to win, but I didn't expect the first two games to kind of look like this. As someone who's been with the Wizards all season long, how or what is your reaction to the O2 hole that Washington now finds themselves in.
0: Well, uh like you I'm I'm, I'm kind of shocked that it's going this way too. But and after after last night's game, I've really sat down and I thought about it some more. You know, with, with the way they've treated this season, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised with them, you know, getting into a funk like this. I mean, they, they've been inconsistent, you know, throughout the course of the season, you know, with losing games to the Mavericks and losing to Phoenix and even losing to Orlando on the last day of the season to even avoid playing the best team in the Eastern Conference. So I, I'm not surprised that they're struggling as much as they are right now.
1: Yeah, man, you know, I got a bunch of partners of mine who always dismiss the regular season. And, you know, they always say, you know, the only thing that matters is what happens from, you know, April through June. And while I understand the idea, I feel as if the Wizards have kind of embodied that approach as well, because the regular season is all about developing winning habits. And, you know, the the stronger the regular season you have, you're not going to be playing a team like Toronto in the first round. It's just this level of indifference almost or this Cavalier approach that the Wizards take. And I don't understand what it where it stems from, where it came from, but it's clearly evident. Uh, when you watch this team and then, you know, this idea that they can flip flip a switch. And then now we are here. We are down, you know, two games to nothing to Toronto.
0: Yeah, I mean, just like you said, uh, the regular season is really meant to, you know, kind of build up good habits so that, you know, that you have a foundation to uh, rely upon when the postseason comes around. And, you know, this this team, you know, they've kind of, you know, just nonchalantly rolled through the season. And I think that a large part of it has to do with um that they have a, uh, a perceived value as to, you know, what they really, what they think of themselves versus, you know, kind of the reality of the situation that, you know, they're, they're still a team that's on, on, on the rise and, you know, they haven't really arrived yet. And I think that, you know, they did a lot of, uh, you know, talking in the offseason that kind of led me to believe that, you know, they thought that they had arrived coming into the season, which is not a good sign.
1: Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guy, Troy Halliburton. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Troy Hallibur. He writes for TruthAboutIt.net. I don't need to tell you guys, if you're listening to this podcast, especially if you're in the D.C. area, TruthAboutIt.net is the best site, best place for Wizards content in the area. And, Troy, your most recent article uh, was about John Wall and the funk he was in for Game game 1. He missed a lot of bunnies, but he responded in a huge way for Game 2. But... It may be I'm biased because I'm a huge John Wall fan. Um, I've been noticing in the days following Game Two, both locally and nationally, that there's like this rising kind of wave of people talking about moving John Wall and you know focusing not necessarily the blame, but the the entirety of this season and this predicament that the Wizards find themselves in is all coming on Wall's shoulders, and that's to be expected. You're the you're you know the the max player there's another max player on this team who's also an all-star and that's Bradley bill. And, you know, and he, to say he's not shown up for the first two games is an understatement. Um, I know the excuses and I don't want to say excuses because that has a negative connotation, but you know, he, he's played a lot of minutes this year and I get that. I really do. And that's a legitimate concern, but that can't be the, the, the main excuse because the number one guy in minutes played is in his 15th season and just had one of the best games I've ever seen in my life versus Indiana, right? So that, to me, while there may be some validity, that doesn't hold that much weight. So when you're seeing what John is going through relative to his production and juxtapose that to Bradley Bill and what he's uh, produced thus far, my question to you is do you think Bradley
0: Bill's is getting a pass? Um, I don't think that he's really getting a pass because I think that, you know, um, he he's really been the Wizards MVP throughout the course of the season, and I think that you know people realize until you don't you don't realize that there's a problem until it's almost too late. And you know people looked up in the box score and you see you know Bradley Bill had you know it was a it was a, it was a minus 34 and the plus minus you know that was the the, the lowest plus minus of a Wizard in a, a playoff series in 20 years. So <laughs> it, it's I think that I don't think that he's getting a pass per se. But I do think that his uh, level of play has kind of tapered off. But I think that that is kind of an aberration because, you know, Bradley Bill has, uh, over the course of his career, he's shown that he's able, been able to step up his level of play in the playoffs. So for him to, you know, have this, uh, you know, this, this two-game slump right now, it, it's kind of an aberration based on, you know, his previous playoff track record.
1: Once again, I'm joined by Troy Halliburton. He writes for truthaboutit.net. Make sure you guys follow him on Twitter. He's at Troy Hallibur. That's Troy, H-A-L-I-B-U-R. He covers the Wizards all season long. He's going to be at Game uh, 3 on Friday. And we talked about the backcourt for Washington, John and Beal. And coming into the series, it was built as, you know, all-star backcourt versus all-star backcourt. Wall and Beal versus Lowry and DeRozan. But through two games, the real matchup, at least in my opinion, is that of front office, right? Masai Ujiri versus Ernie Grunfeld. Masai, in my opinion, is one of the two or three best GMs in the entire league. I would agree. And, you know, it's low-hanging fruit at this point to attack Ernie. I think his track record speaks for itself. We all know what time it is as it pertains to Ernie. But, you know, you look at the, the way each of the first two games have gone, and in the first game, Toronto hit 16 threes, and, you know, Lowry and DeRozan don't score a lot of points, but they still win comfortably by eight, you know? Game two, Washington outscores Toronto's bench, Toronto's, you know, their biggest strength, really. By almost 20 points, Ty Lawson just came from China and was balling. Mike Scott seemingly didn't miss a shot the entire game. And you add that to an amazing John Wall game and effort, and yet, they got ran out the gym, essentially. The score only was 12 points, but, you know, the game was much bigger than that. So when you see how different the first two games went, you know, one game, their All-Stars don't score a lot of points and their bench steps up. The second game, Washington's bench outscores Toronto's, but it didn't matter. It, it was the, the, the deficit was even worse. What can the Wizards do at this point for game three to try to, you know, get back in this series?
0: Well, I think that the first thing that they can do if uh, is p- play uh, a different style of basketball against the Raptors because obviously playing with Gortat at center is not really working because, I mean, he's, he's such a liability on the defensive end that, you know, the Raptors are kind of, you know, picking on him every every possession. You know, they, they, they run those pick and rolls to get Gortat, uh, you know, swung into a guard. And, you know, it, 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 it's not going to end well with him because he's, you know, he's out like there running in quicksand pretty much. Nice. And uh, I think that, honestly, so if, they, if they were to go small, they, Mike Scott has played you know, some of his best basketball over the uh, course of the two playoff games, and then they're going to need more from their two wing players, Kelly Oubre and Otto Porter. You know, nice. Porter needs to be a lot more aggressive and, you know, uh, uh, demanding the ball in certain situations. And uh, Kaylee Oubre, I mean, he's been put in positions to succeed. You know, he's just got to hit a shot. Right. I think uh, the addition of Lawson is also could be the uh, potential X factor that could change this series for the Wizards. Because really what it does, it gives uh, – so since the Wizards don't really have a lot of wing depth, they can uh, allow Sadoransky to, you know, kind of play yeah. the off-ball two and a three. And right. then you can play uh, Lawson with ball or with Bill – and, you know, as he, as he showed last night, that not only can Ty Lawson dribble, penetrate, and find open teammates, but he can also knock down an open shot, which, uh, you know, the Wizards definitely need at this point. You ain't
1: lying, because right now, nobody can hit shots outside of them. <laughs>
0: exactly. Uh,
1: once again, guys, I'm joined by Troy Halliburton. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Troy Hallibur. He writes for TruthAboutIt.net. He's been covering the Wizards all season long. All right, Troy, man. So, you know, maybe the next time we have you on – Uh, we'll we'll bring this up because we were you and I were going back and forth on Twitter a little while ago about you know who is better between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid but there is no question that both of those guys are tremendous talents right you look at Boston Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier get better every time I see them play both very young both very talented in the Celtics two of their best players aren't even playing right now then you look at Indiana Oladipo has had a coming out party this whole year and what Turner and Sabonis have done to kind of uh, supplement his skills and built around him. Indiana looks like a, a potentially dangerous team moving forward as well. Those are three young teams and the Wizards are young too, but three young teams who have kind of just burst onto the scene in some way, shape or form this season. The, the Wizards, they've been together. This, this window has been open for five years and then the NBA windows close really quick before you even know it. Ask the Clippers, ask the Grizzlies. So my question to you is, if the Wizards, and it's still early, you know, they can easily tie the series at the end of this weekend. But if the Wizards lose in the first round to the Toronto Raptors, do you think it's time that they do something drastic to the roster? And if so, what would that move
0: be? I I don't know if I would say something drastic. I think that the the only the drastic, uh, the potential uh, drastic move that the Wizards can make are very limited, and really the only the only move that I would um, advocate for would be somehow you know trying to get Kawhi Leonard into DC. I think that you can you know you can probably convince yourself to uh, to get a package together with, with Otto Porter, maybe Kelly Oubre, you know some other pieces, uh, some some cap space filler.
1: I don't know, I don't know. I think if the Wizards go big game hunting, especially for Kawhi, they're gonna have to come up off of one of the. House of Guard, All Star Guards. You know, either John or Brad. Man,
0: I don't know. See, the thing is, the thing is with San Antonio, what people need to, what people fail to realize is that you know they have a, they have their own evaluation system. You know, mm-hmm. they could be Coach Popovich could be looking at Otto Porter and see a diamond in the rough. That he might get him in, to turn into a perennial All Star. You know something, <laughs> something, something that the Wizards, you know, couldn't really do with him. But like I said, I think that that is the uh, most drastic move that they can make, and I don't think there's any other move where uh, you know they, they they could make you know big uh, ripple effects like that. But I do think there are smaller changes that the Wizards could make that could have big impact on you know what they do next season. I think that the, the first move would have to be looking at uh, Ernie Grunfeld as the as the team president. I think that you know the wizards are kind of hamstrung right now. the fact that you know they don't really have a a basketball mind a basketball analytics mind you know in their front office who's kind of who can who can feed information to Scott Brooks and to the rest of the coaching staff and and I think that now that's something that the Wizards culture needs to change in general, as far as you know how they view analytics and how they you know are operating. And uh, not even just analytics, just just doing, just using all of the tools that the NBA is providing in order to you know have the best team possible. I'll give you a, a quick example: uh, the, the the two-way contract. You know, the two way contract was something that was implemented by the NBA this season, you know, to give teams opportunity to, to you know have G League players on their roster and to go back and forth between the G League team and the professional team. And, you know, a lot of teams utilized those two way contracts and, you know, were able to, you know, fill good players. Though know, the right. Wizards were the only team in the NBA who didn't even fill both of their two way contract spots. And the other the one two way contract player they had, Devin Robinson, I mean, he only played, what, 12 minutes in the last game of the season. Right, right. So it's it's, it's just little stuff like that where, you know, we seem to be kind of behind the curve of what the, you know, smarter franchises are doing. When you look at Toronto, you know, they they developed you know, uh, Pasco Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, they both played for, you know, the Raptors 905, the, the G League right. team that won the championship last season. So, you know, they, they're they taking, you know, every, every step imaginable to make sure that they're, you know, unearthing every rock to try to find talent. And I feel like the Wizards are just, you know, kind of behind the curve when it comes to that.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree w- with you more. Um, like you said, it's a culture. Um, if you are a Wizards fan, I guess you could take some solace in the fact that, you know, Three years ago, Toronto, after being swept by Washington, you know they kind of readjusted um, what they had and, and implemented a new system and a new style, which has paid dividends in the last three years. You know what I mean? Like, and obviously Toronto has, like I said, one of the better GMs in the entire league, but they were they were they were humbled and they were forced to adjust. Um, you hope, as a Wizards fan, that it doesn't take a, a sweep. You know, in the first round, to to start kind of looking at things uh in a different light. But you know, you said it best. You know, the Wizards seem seem to be behind the curve in an ever changing NBA landscape.
0: Exactly. I I could not have described it better. They were behind the times in an ever changing NBA landscape. That's a, that's a tagline right there. And <laughs> <laughs> hey,
1: you know what? Hey man, that's how we're gonna walk off. Then you know, what's good, guys. That's my guy, Troy Halliburton. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Troy Hallibur. He writes for truthaboutit.net. He's been covering the Wizards all year long, including the postseason. So, you know, make sure you check him out. Stay up to date on his thoughts and everyone else's on truthaboutit.net. And uh, Troy, man, thank you again for joining me on the quarterly report. And I look forward to having you on again sometime soon.
0: I mean, it was a pleasure, Amon. Thanks again for having me.
1: All right, guys. So that's
0: three quarters
1: down. We've got one quarter left. We're going to finish up strong with maybe The biggest story of this past weekend. It's our fourth topic this week.
2: Fourth quarter.
1: Sometimes being a sports fan is exhausting, right? The culture that we've developed or in and around sports. I don't know about y'all, man, but I, I just get sick of it at times, right? I love sports, but everything that comes along with it sometimes can just be a bit too much for me. Case in point, in the biggest, the biggest criticism I have when it comes to, the sports culture that we all kind of enjoy or, or live in is comparing everything. Everything has to be compared to something else. It can't just stand alone, right? We can't just marvel at how great LeBron is. We have to compare him to Michael Jordan. Now, to be fair, LeBron has kind of talked about this comparison and has walked into this comparison. But even before he did, before he talked about it, before he kind of welcomed that, people were comparing him to Michael Jordan since like, for over, like over a decade, comparing them to Magic Johnson. And it's not just LeBron. Tom Brady, Joe Montana, we've done that forever. I remember as a kid, it was, who wins, Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali. It just always is, how great is this person? Well, we don't know how great he is until we can compare him to another legend from another completely different time. Which is absurd when you think about it because so many things change. Times change. Comparing Michael Jordan to LeBron is It's really foolish considering how different the games are. Not just, you know, from an an opinion standpoint. The game is literally changed. The three-point line is longer, further out. The defense, the rules that Michael Jordan played against defenses do not apply now. Right? So you could say, hey, man, defenses are tougher when Jordan played. And that's true. You could also say, guess what? The offense is easier, you know, when Jordan played. Like, the three-point line is shorter. Imagine if LeBron James played in a short three-point line, right? The whole thing. Everything is crazy. We can't just say, man, you know what? Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. Or Michael Jordan was one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And so was LeBron. Nah, it always has to be LeBron versus Jordan, right? Uh, Tiger versus Jack. Montana versus Brady. You know, Moss versus Rice. The whole thing. And because I'm so immersed in the sports culture, I thought that... This is where this is the only place where that lived, right? This is where it started, and this is where it lives. Only in sports do we do silly comparisons that really just that you can't—they're not even—they're not even close to being a valid comparison. You can't—you can't make one, you know—you can't do it. And then this weekend happened, and Beyoncé showed off, man. She showed out at Coachella. I'm not even the biggest Beyoncé fan, you know. I like some of her songs. Please be high, don't come at me. You feel me? I'm not hating on her. It's just, you know what I'm saying? Often, you know, it's just it's just not for me. It's not me knocking her talent or anything like that. But this past Saturday, she shut the whole world down. An amazing She was performing with an HBCU band. She brought she had Pastor Troy music in the background. They had a crucial. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, like, what could you ask for? You feel me? She brought Jay Z out, and that was like, that was like the rest point. They're like, get this, like, keep it moving, baby. And instead of just enjoying the performance, and again, I'm not even a big-time Beyonce fan like that, but I enjoyed the performance. I was like, okay, cool, bet. What was the What was the first thing that happened? Oh, Beyonce, she's better than Michael Jackson. <laughs> and, and then at that point, it's just like, man, what? And listen to me. I am a Michael Jackson fan. I grew up on Michael Jackson. You feel me? I used to, I had the movie Moonwalker. I used to watch that joint every day during the summer. The video game, Moonwalker. You know what I'm saying? My homeboy had the second Genesis. I just had the uh, the Nintendo. So I would play that with him. Man, like Michael Jackson was my guy, Joe. Like growing up, Michael Jackson was my guy. So personally for me, you know, I... I'm not going to ever say somebody's a better performer than Michael Jackson because for me, that's that's the creme de la creme. However, I'm not going to disrespect Beyonce. She, her performing skills clearly are on another level, right? On a completely other level. And she has met, you know, she has reached a certain level where her, Prince, Michael, uh, James Brown, all these great performers, it shouldn't be Oh, uh, okay, who's better? Da, 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 da. It's that, okay, you've arrived now. So even though I personally think Michael Jackson is a better performer, that's because I relate to the music. I, I just respond to the music, but I'm a I'm a bigger Michael Jackson fan. But there's no need to compare. Because ultimately what happens, right? And we saw it play out. People start taking shots at Beyonce, people start taking shots at Michael Jackson. Chris Brown fans, for whatever reason, jump into the situation and like, oh, but what about Chris Everybody like, man, y'all sit your ass down. And I'm just thinking, man, yo, when did, it, when did we start doing this outside of sports? Maybe I just, this is a blind spot that I have. Cause I'm so, again, I, I, sports is part of my life every single day, every single day. And they're sports fans. And then they're like fanatics for real. And you know, there are people who can just watch sports casually and, and they don't even think about it. I think about sports all the time. It's, a, it's an obsession. I love sports. Obviously, I have a podcast, right? But I i was, like I said, it was a blind spot. I didn't know that this is how we as a culture do everything now. When did that happen? Like, it's like chicken and the egg theory. Is it the sports argument topics that started, that brought it into the culture? Or is this just the culture that we've always had and sports is just kind of taking the ball and literally run with it, you know? Because... At at least in some degree, sports are a competition. Like, plain and simple. LeBron James competed against Kobe Bryant. So if you wanted to have a LeBron-Kobe argument, I don't even think it's even close. But they at least competed. They were contemporaries. Kobe competed against Michael Jordan. They were contemporaries, right? Shaq, David Robinson, Elijah Wan Ewing, all these guys were playing against one another. Duncan, KG, Dirk. Weber, Sheed, all those guys were back and forth with it. Beyonce ain't never, there was no American Idol singing competition between Beyonce and Michael Jackson. Beyonce, and, or Michael Jackson and Prince, they had their own little thing, and I got that because they were contemporaries. But now people just think through generations. Like, you would ask my grandparents, they would have said James Brown. Or my parents would have said, you know what I'm saying? I would say Michael Jackson. God knows what my daughter is gonna think is a great performer when she's of age, when she starts coming along. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a personal preference. It's not like somebody saying Takashi 69 is a better performer than, you know, Prince. We at a certain level now with Beyonce. She shut the whole thing down. And that's cool. You may not even be able- you may not even like it, but you could be like, you know what? Boom. I got it. But now nah, that 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 certain level of just it's not that we did this embrace debate culture. You know what I'm saying? So it's not, you know, crazy. it's not, no, you can't generate a certain type of wild reaction. So nobody likes to hear just that plain, simple answer, right? People were coming for Bruno Mars because somebody else said he was this generation's prince. He ain't say it. And then people just start chopping down Bruno. And Bruno like, yo, y'all was rocking to my music just like last week. Well, what happened? It's just weird, man. Like, so I'm, I'm watching it play out on Sunday and I'm seeing Michael Jackson trending and I'm like, okay, man, you know, maybe, you know how I go, somebody's name is trending and either the first thing is, oh my God, did they die? Michael Jackson, God bless the dead, he's already gone. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe it was his birthday. Maybe he's, they, they remastered one of his old albums, some new music, whatever the case. I click on it and it's a bunch of Beyonce fans ripping Michael Jackson. I'm like, oh, yo, what are, what are we doing? What is this that's happening right now? But they were doing it out of, and this doesn't excuse it, but they're going out of a, 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 they're moving out of a a place of defensive uh, defensive, uh, position, right? Because they're defending the the onslaught of Beyonce uh, slander that was going on. And, And I'm just like, yo, it doesn't need to be Beyonce versus Michael Jackson. They're not competing. Like why on earth would we compare them to? They're both great performers, period. You know, and it doesn't even really have to be anything else said. Why does it have to be, oh, Rihanna versus Beyonce versus Chris Brown versus Bruno versus Kendrick and Drake? Like, again, I get it in terms of contemporary musicians, you know, and it's and, you know, certain in certain genres, they're going to be that kind of that that heated rivalry, you know, that one upsmanship, if you will. Right. So I get I get even to a lesser extent like Beyonce and Rihanna or, or Drake and Kendrick and Cole and all that stuff, I don't think it has to be any type of problem. It can just be like, yo, somebody wants to be the number one spot, and I get that. But we start talking about Michael Jackson. We got we got real-life people slandering Michael Jackson because they're defending Beyonce, and I'm not saying that people, Michael Jackson fans, they out a lot slandering Beyonce especially after what we saw on Saturday. Like, there's no way you watch Saturday's performance and you think, oh, man, she's some trash. Nah, she's a hell of a performer. There's no way, just like, there's no way you could be the biggest Michael Jordan fan in the world. There's no way you watch what LeBron did in game two versus the Indiana Pacers and think, oh, he sucks. There's just no way you could do that. And if you are one of these people who were slandering Beyonce after the Coachella performance or slanders LeBron after game two performance against Indiana, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and wash your face. Ask yourself what is going on in your life? Why are you like that? You understand what I'm saying? Michael Jordan ain't your daddy. He's not going to have his feelings hurt because you like damn. LeBron's. LeBron is one of the all-time greats. You may not think he's better than Michael Jordan, and that's cool. Somebody, probably many people probably do. And that's just the way it is. That's how life works. But to dismiss someone's achievement, it's clear. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, they in the same, to take uh, Mercury Morris' uh, analogy, they on the same block. They on the same street. They in the same house. Mike may be sitting at the head of the table. I think he is. But damn it, if he ain't sitting right beside LeBron. Likewise, I think Michael Jackson is the greatest performer of all time. And I'm at an age that I, you probably not going to change my mind. Nothing, you know, like there's nothing you can tell me that will change my mind. That's cool. But damn it. if Michael Jackson ain't chilling in the same room with Beyonce, Prince, James Brown, you know what I'm saying? And other performers from different genres that, you know, I don't know about, but for me, they all chilling together. That's not blasphemous. You feel me? Like it doesn't have. It's not a competition. It's not. We don't have to debate everything like we've gotten so obsessed with debate that the actual term of debating literally means nothing anymore. You know, you debate to kind of sharpen arguments. Now we debate just to hear each other talk here, hear our own selves speak over another person. You start recycling the same old talking points. Nobody got time for that. We got to chill out, Joe. We really got to chill out. Hopefully you enjoyed chilling out and rocking with me this episode for this past hour. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to me. Make sure you email the show at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Make sure you tweet at the show at quarterlyshow, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. Make sure you check out the show's Instagram page at quarterlyreport on IG. On Instagram, we got all the fun stuff, interviews, wire comparisons, the whole nine, man. We're trying to up that up a little bit more as the days go on but make sure you check out the instagram page as well and as always rate and review the show whether it's on apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify pod google play wherever you listen to podcasts leave a five-star review if you would like please rate and review the show let the world know let me know let your friends family and everybody in between let everybody know what you think what you like about the show absolutely uh thankful for everyone who rocks with the show each and every week um really appreciate the love and support and we're gonna keep things moving baby on to next week's show i am your host Armand lee and we'll see you back here next week on the quarterly report